everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Dan Clark. This is The Crossover. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Sean Keating. Greetings. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, and review, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We're all over the place. Um, thank you for listening. we got a big show today with Todd Dufault, a leadership coach, a consultant, runs his own business. I got to know Todd uh, in our coaching battles as he coached Wasika. Um, left that spot a, a few years ago and uh, now is focusing his time on consulting and leadership with schools, marching bands, basketball programs, and and done, doing a great job with that. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a fun show. Remember that we are on Instagram. We're hip. We're cool. We're with it. Uh, we're at what the crossover dot podcast on the gram. Uh, we're trying to put out some daily content for our ravenous ravenous fans. There we go. That's a good word. Sit back, enjoy the show. You're going to learn a lot from Todd. He's full of wisdom, tons of golden nuggets. Get out a notebook, people. It's going to be great. The son of a legendary band director. A moment in 1988 when Dr. Tim came to speak that changed his life forever. Experience not only in the fine arts, but as a basketball coach and program builder. He spent his life's work on leadership and serving others. On today's episode, we sit down with leadership master Todd Dufault. All right. Well, I think we'll start with a little bit of music. I joked with Dan that, you know, I got about three songs I play on the jukebox and those are the really the only three songs I care about. And they're usually after a few cold beverages. So Dan's more of the musical guy. So he's going to start us off just talking about your, your music background. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not like, I mean, I'm not a, I don't know how to play any instruments, but I've been a radio DJ. You know, I've, I've just absorbed a lot of music from different decades and I just, I love it all. And so that's my, you know, depth of knowledge on music is basically just listening to a ton of it. He typically names a song and asks if I know, and I'm like, no, I don't know. Just, just move on. This guy needs some help in the music department. Um, And you could probably give it to him, but uh, (laughs) in my, in my background research of you, I, I mean, I was listening to that previous podcast and you know, first off, one connection I think we have is that um, you, you mentioned your dad, you know, is the the man who started it all at the at the Wasika marching band or band um, arena. Uh, uh, and uh, he was a pretty popular guy. And uh, I grew up with having my dad as a, he was a high school history teacher. And he as well was one of those guys around town or the teacher that, you know, knew everybody. And I'm sure your dad was probably the same if half the school was in the band. Um, so can you talk about that a little bit, just growing up with a figure like that, you know? Um, cause I can remember going places and just stopping and having to talk to every single person and seeing that made me really think like, wow, what this guy does is, is pretty special. Um, 
And I think that obviously had an impact on me, and I'm guessing it probably rubbed off on you as well. Well, I, I do believe that as we get older, it's our influences along the path of the journey that we take, even starting back to at a younger age. And what you believe and what you value in life, a big part of that is what has influenced you in the past. And for me, it was my father, you know, him being a teacher and him being a band director. Um, we actually came to Waseca in 1975. I was 10 years old. I'm going to date myself a little bit. There we go. Some good music back and then. All I, all I remember as a child was sports was a pretty big part of my life. I didn't realize how impactful music could be in my life. Now, I grew up around music. I grew up around a father who um, obviously used music as a vehicle to teach life skills to kids. And it was a vehicle he used to mold kids to get them to understand how to be the best you can be. And just all those life skills that you can learn through an activity like band. And he was actually hired in 1975 um, to start a marching band at Waseca, which at the time, I don't know what the capacity of what they did. It was not a competitive marching band. I think they did what a lot of schools will do that do not have a competitive marching band. And that is you perform at halftime of a football game, maybe the homecoming or whatever it may be. So my first memories of my father when he came to Waseca was the fact that the marching band would go out on the field with music and just stand in place and play. Well, what I think what I think the administration wanted was something a little bit more in the realm of a marching band that could really represent the community. Now, of course, I didn't have this discussion with my father back then. I was 10 years old. But all I can remember is that when my father came to Waseca, there were 68 kids in his program. And that's the instrumental program, 9 through 12 at the high school. Now, keep in mind at the high school, I don't know exactly what the you know, what the enrollment was back at that point, but a pretty safe bet is you're looking at around 510, 520 kids that are, that are attending Waseca High School. And I still think today it's pretty, pretty similar. When my dad left and retired in 1994, there were 250 kids in his program. Almost half the high school was in the instrumental program. So you can see how that made a big impact on my life. Even though I didn't really understand what was happening with this program, here's the things that I recognized as a child. I recognized that there was, that everything involved with this program was very positive. I recognized that kids wanted to be a part of that program. I couldn't figure out why. I didn't understand culture, okay? I didn't understand the dynamics that goes into creating an environment where kids can thrive and be their best and feel like they are a part of a team and where kids feel good about being a part of something um, that they feel that they're successful. Well, what happened in that 19 years um, didn't happen by mistake. I think it was very intentional that my dad was trying to create an, a culture, even though he wasn't trying to build numbers where half the school was involved. That just naturally happened because of the environment. And 
then as I grew up, I wanted to be a part of his program. And I was, I played the trumpet and I was drum major of his marching band my last two years. And matter of fact, my senior year, we were in the Macy's Day Parade in New York. And we had about two and a half, three minutes on national television. Um, you can see where that was the beginning of how that influenced on how I felt about a team. Now, along the way, I was really big into sports. Matter of fact, I, the story goes that when my father came to Wasika, he asked about the, the baseball and the, and the basketball program. He wanted to know, how's that? And again, my dad was thinking outside the box a little bit. He had little boys, but he also knew that his boys were very interested in sports. Now, from there, he didn't have any, nobody has any idea what's going to develop if we're even going to play sports. Now it's just changed yeah. a little bit now, right? Parents not only ask about the program, but they ask about maybe how many minutes they're going to get, uh, <laughs> maybe how, how the coach runs practice and those things. So I think things have changed nowadays. Maybe a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I think we all know that. My father, I, I can remember back that you bring that up, Sean. It's kind of interesting because I remember my back, back in, in my days at Wasika, um, my father never talked to coach. My mom never talked to coach. Um, so that's, never a, that's, happened. A, that's a part of the past that probably some coaches might want to bring back. Well, of course, email has changed and technology has email changed. Email has changed. Communication in general has changed. And I'm not, I'm not trying to say it's, it was perfect. What I'm, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that that influenced me growing up that I think I took a little bit of responsibility for myself because my parents were not there to um, per se protect me if things weren't going the way I wanted them to. I always remember my dad putting responsibility back on myself. And I was the oldest of five kids. I had three younger brothers and a younger sister. And so that's what I grew up. But my dad had an influence on me when it came to excellence. And my dad had an impact on me when it came to discipline. And my dad had an impact on me when it came to understanding how do you get the most and the best out of somebody. And even though my dad created a very competitive marching program, he introduced the, the competitive side to the kids. And within four years, the Wasika program was very, very competitive. And his last about six, seven years at Wasika, he had the best performance competitive marching band in the state of Minnesota and one of the top in the Midwest. And even still to this day, I mean, when we visit or when we play against the, the Blue Jays and head over there for football or, you know, in the gym, they're always, they're, they're still, you know, jamming out and really bringing the thunder. And, and I mean, I think part of that, I don't know if this has always been the case, but it, it seems to me like they've always had a, a more, modern approach to the type of music they played was that always the case like back in the 70s and the 80s when you first when he was first getting started did they play you know the hits that were on the radio like I mean I, I saw the Wasika Blue Jays playing Can't Hold Us Down which is like a, a rap song by Macklemore recently I just watched it on YouTube today and you know I feel like that's the stuff that when I see a band play, that really gets me excited. And I'm guessing, or I'm wondering, was that always the case? Were they playing, you know, pour some sugar on me back in the eighties or, you know, was that happening? Well, I think there's two types of ways to look at it. There's what you call the pep band. Okay. Those are the, the that's the band you see at the football, the basketball games. Okay. That selection of music 
even back way in the day, back in the day, my father always wanted to pick music that was going to be entertaining to the people and music that kids are going to enjoy because I think that builds the interest. Now, when it comes to selecting music for a competitive marching band, that gets a little bit more technical and that's evolved even nowadays because I've been in the marching band world for 36 years. So I've seen how that's evolved. There's a lot more technical, there's a lot more thought process putting into it. Um, you are now hiring professional drill writers, professional people to arrange your music. That has changed through time. The, the, comp the competitive marching side of things has now changed. It's really evolved in the last 12, 15 years in Minnesota, where now you've got some really competitive groups in Minnesota competing nationally. That wasn't happening back in the day. And it seems so, like they're they're kind of over they're starting to overlap a little bit. Like the you know those those pep band selections, at least from what I've noticed, have become marching band selections as well. And with just with more you know intense choreography and you know a lot more difficulty, I would imagine. Well, yeah, and I think, and again, it, it depends on the program um, that you're that you're a part of. And I think that that's the process that you have, but you can just see how things even changed in the marching band world. Getting back to how that plays an influence. Um, I just wanted to be around my dad's band for a couple of years after I graduated. Um, that couple of years turned to 10 and I volunteered my time and I, and I, and my life did change um, in 1988 when I met a guy by the name of Dr. Tim Lotzenheiser. He's kind of the motivational student leadership guru in the country. He came to Wasika and spoke to my dad's band. And I was in that session as an instructor and it absolutely changed my way of thinking. And it developed what, I, what was the start of a passion for leadership. And so what did, he, what did he say? Like, I'm trying to picture, like I'm picturing you right now in this, you know, Blues Brothers moment where, you know, Elwood's in the back of the church, if you know what I'm talking about, and the light comes shining down upon him. What does he say that all of a sudden gets you to, you know, click and be like, oh my God, this is, this is what I should be, you know, doing or following as a, as a, as principles for leadership or life in general. First of all, he, he was able to define to me what re leadership really is. I think, I think everybody, um, when you don't know a lot about maybe leadership in itself, you start to think that leadership is about having the power of a title, having the power to tell people what to do, having the power to use your platform to, um, I hate to use the word boss around, but that's kind of what it is, boss people around. And in that moment, what I learned from Dr. Tim, even back in 1988 was leadership is about influence. It's about serving others. It's about making the people around you better. And that was a light bulb moment for me. And um, what I connected at that point, and I was in my you know, I was in my, what, my early 20s at that point. What connected to me was the impact that individuals can have on their peers. That a coach, a teacher, a supervisor, a mentor, a boss can have the impact that they can have on the people around them if they're able to gain and earn the trust of the people around them. So that was probably what stuck in my mind. From that point, I spent the next 10 years following Dr. Tim. And I would drive five, six hours just to go to one of his sessions. I took notes. I just wanted to learn. I wanted to understand more about 
how people influence each other. And why do some people choose to do things and choose to do the wrong things and choose to do things that are going to affect their team? Those are the things that I started to really wanted to consume and learn. And from that moment, I started to develop an attitude that every single day is an opportunity to learn. Every single day is an opportunity to get better, no matter what you're doing. And it can pertain to anything in life. And I just happened to use, because of my background, I just happened to use the marching activity as my opportunity and my vehicle to be able to help kids. And me getting into the leadership business and now having the opportunity to be able to work with kids all over the country, um, if I were to be totally honest with you, this happened by mistake. This was not something that I had planned out. But what happened is I followed my passion. And even when people maybe doubt you and say, there's no way that you're going to be able to, you know, do this full time or you're, there's no way you're going to be able to, you know, it's like anything like I tell kids is you sometimes you have to. You have to not only follow your heart, but you got to figure out where you want to go in life. And then you have to develop the habits to get you there. And then you have to be willing to do the things that it takes to get to where you want to go. And that can pertain to being as a basketball coach, or if I'm working with a band, or if I'm working with um, the girls soccer team, it doesn't matter. That to me is where it starts. And that's why I always tell kids, it starts with you, even though it's not about you. And so you can see that influence uh, with my father and then Dr. Tim um, led me into um, kind of what I'm, what I'm doing today with, uh, with a servant leadership. Yeah. I mean, that idea of, you know, do what you can, where you are with what you have, you had the marching band and you had, you know, you got that knowledge and you just, you started to apply it, but I'm wondering, because a lot of the things you're talking about, you say, you know, you, you didn't plan this. There's a lot of chance happenings that are, are taking place here. How did you or how do you learn to recognize those opportunities and when to, when to jump and when to take them? Because I feel like there's, you know, a lot of people have those moments, but they don't always, you know, jump at that opportunity or notice like, oh, I should ride this path and see where it takes me. Well, I think developing awareness, I think, you know, one thing I like to teach kids is understanding that, you know, to be a great leader, you have to de develop that awareness of what's happening around you. Um, I'm, I'm the type that um, I learned from my father very, very early on. Um, I'm not real aggressive when it comes to um, thinking that I can do something or accomplish something. Uh, like when I got into leadership training, it was actually encouragement by other music educators you know after them telling me for three or four years you should be doing this i finally believed them and took them up on that so i think developing an awareness that if if, if something can work um how i got into coaching i never wanted to be a coach um, i played college basketball that doesn't mean you can coach um and what's really interesting is i didn't know how much i didn't know about coaching until i started coaching you know, it was really, it was, Amen kind of, to that. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where, you know, well, I played college basketball. I should be able to coach. Well, you find out very quickly that that's not always the case. So one thing that was, I have to give credit to one of my college buddies, um, who is the head coach at Oatana right now, Josh Williams. Um, Josh is the one who got me into coaching. And it was, if it wasn't for my six years at Oatana high school, 
um, there's no way that I would have had the opportunity to be able to experience some of the joys of, of coaching. Um, he asked me if I'd be willing to come on his staff back in, boy, was it 2004? Um, and when he took over the Owatonna program, and he almost kind of begged me, to be honest, because I had told him first, I don't know if I have any interest in coaching. And so that was the start of me trusting Josh and taking that leap of faith and saying, you know what? I really love working with kids. I can relate to kids. I know how to connect with kids just based on my experience. And what I've learned with working with marching band kids, I think what I could add is the element of leadership and, and, and that mindset and that growth mindset. I said, you know what? And I'd like to learn a lot more about basketball, the coaching and, and the um, just the, the ins and outs of putting together a team and that type of thing. So I took him up on it. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made. I absolutely fell in love with coaching. Now to take it to that next step, I, I just thought, you know what? I'll be an assistant coach for a few years here and I'll get my, my, my taste of it and then I'll be done. Um, and then an opportunity came at Waseca um, to go back home and, and take over a program that had been struggling. Um, but this is, a, you know, it was a basketball town and I, I, and I knew that there was such a strong history of basketball at Waseca, but my initial reaction was, I do not want to be a head coach because I don't want to lo lose my friends. <laughs> and I, and I, and that's, I'm being totally truthful here yeah. um, because I knew I had seen what happens um, with a head coach because I had lived it as an assistant. And I loved the fact that I could come into the gym, work with kids and then go home and not have to take anything home with me. I didn't have to worry about an email. I didn't have to worry about a text from somebody. I didn't have to worry about a call from the athletic director. I didn't have to worry about any of that stuff. And I was right in my zone of comfort and passion and love for the game. But then I took a leap of faith. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's, let's talk about that for a little bit. So, and I always joke with my assistants that they're basically, you know, your therapist, not for the players, your therapist for me, because you're going to do a lot of listening and, and a lot of <laughs> talking me off the edge a little bit, but so mentorship, something, in fact, in our last little, episode, um, or one of the halftime talks, one of our students asked us about like the influences in our life. And so we talked about some of the people that have influenced us and, and obviously you've had some tremendous mentors in your dad and Dr. Tim and, and people that you could look at the example they set. And, um, one of my favorite little John Wooden quotes is, is a little poem about no spoken word, no written plea, blah, blah, blah. And then it talks about the, ex nothing's more important than the example you set. And I think as educators, as teachers, as people in leadership, the reason we, part of what we do, what we do is because we want to like give back, you know, like people did this for us and now we want to do it. And now when you're working with students, when you're working with players, when you're working with band directors and coaches, not everyone's had been lucky enough to have some of the same experiences that you did or, or that some of us have had. And so when you're dealing with people that, um, whether it's broken homes, whether it's different situations that these students have had, players have had, um, what are the things that you're trying to instill to these programs um, to get them on the right track? Because we all know that not everyone's the same and everyone, 
you know, rather than just casting a kid aside just because he's whatever, maybe volatile or maybe maybe acts out or whatever it might be, we always know there's a bigger story to it. So what's been what are what are some of the principles that you've used in those situations? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is getting kids to believe. That power of belief is 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 it, it can absolutely change the mindset, which I believe it all starts with mindset. How you look at things, how you approach things, how you think of yourself, how you treat others. Are you willing to be coachable? Are you willing to learn? Do you have an open mind uh, to want to get 1% better every day? So that's why I'm saying it, it, you know, it really starts with you. When, I, when, I'm, when I'm working with kids, it's, you know, it starts with you. You have to decide what you want. And if you want to be a leader or not, make a decision if you want to be a leader. Anybody can be a leader. I, I believe that. I don't think you're born a leader. I think that's a decision you have to make is at some point in your life, you have to think, you know what? I think I could be a good leader. Okay. My next question is, are you willing to invest in building relationships? Because I believe everything is about relationships. I think you've got to build trust. I think you've got to earn that trust. It's not going to, you can't ask somebody to just trust you. You've got to earn it. And in order to earn that, you, it starts with learning how to connect with people, find that connection point, and then start building that relationship. And then through time, if you can build that relationship, you start to earn that trust slowly. And then that's when you have an opportunity to influence people. And so getting kids to understand that, first of all, Here's the, here's the good news. You need to decide what you want, want to see happen. And once you make that decision, now you have to decide how to get there. So if you want to be a great leader, you've got to start building relationships right now. So, so coaching has changed a lot in, in the last 40 years, we will say. And this word of transformational coaching is kind of a, a buzzword that I think for me kind of started with Joel Ehrman and his book Inside Out Coaching and I think it's gained a lot of steam. You kind of see it with PJ Fleck, you see it with Buzz Williams, you see it with Dabble Sweeney at Clemson. Um, people that are, are putting culture first, putting their their faith, their religion is a big part of their culture as well. And um, you know, I've, I've done this for seven years as a head coach and I learned pretty quickly that the X's and O's are, are great, but we all know that that's just a tiny slice of what being a coach really is and that to uh, have a long-term successful program, it's going to be about what you're talking about relationships and culture and, and people. And what were some of the things that, so you obviously had this experience in band as an assistant and now you're starting uh, when you think back to your first year at Wasika and you're trying to change the culture. And that's something that so many of us have been through um, in, in the coaching profession, especially and what is that process like? What do you remember about trying to change the culture? Oh, boy, that brings me back to that first summer practice when I walked in the gym and saw the players for the first time and the conversation that we had. Um, to me, it starts with belief and believing that change can happen. And then talking about culture and talking about why it's so important to create an environment where kids can feel like they can be not only themselves, but they have an opportunity to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. 
So I just remember, um, I just remember talking about the things that we're going to focus on are the things that we can control. We're not going to think, we're not going to think about wins and losses. Um, we are going to think about the process and we're going to think about when we come into the gym every day, what are we doing to make ourselves better? What are we doing to make each other better? And what are the things that we can control? Okay. We can control how we rehearse or pra uh, practice every day. We have, we have control over that. We have control over how we come into practice, our attitude and how much effort we put into it, how much energy, energy we bring into practice. And then we do have control over trying to get better every day. And I just remember that the first year at Waseca, and if any players, um, if you were talking to those players that first year, they know that we spend a lot of time talking about probably two things. One was obviously what we do, the culture, the habits. Um, and the second thing was probably defense. And I just felt like um, we needed to latch onto something that we could start changing. And, and again, it wasn't like I was um, analyzing. I wasn't planning on being the coach at Waseca. So I wasn't, you know, analyzing what was happening in the past because to me that didn't matter. Um, what mattered was what do we do from here forward? How do we build from here? And let's start with defense and let's, let's focus on the things that we, we, that we can become good at right away. And then we'll slowly develop skill. And along the way, as we develop skill, let's always fall back on the fact that we can, we can defend every night. So you can see the first thing we're trying to do is we, we need to create the mindset. We need the kids to think differently. We need them to think because, because I'm a firm believer that coaching wasn't the problem. It was how kids were thinking. It was what kids were doing on a daily basis. And it was them having the open-mindedness to, to change. And um, I think that's the situation in a lot of programs. Um, when you can't get your kids to do what they're supposed to do on a daily basis and you can't get kids to develop, um, it's very, very difficult to compete. How long and, I, and I think um, times have really changed that there, there is such good coaching out there nowadays that I believe the difference maker is the kids and what they're willing to do and the culture that is created. And then the expectation in the kids following through with that culture and be and, and willing to do what it takes to maximize their full potential as an individual and as a team, because the coaching is off the charts nowadays, you know, um, it, it's absolutely amazing. And the more I'm around coaching, the more I realize that, that I, I have a lot to learn. And that's exciting because I know that my learning curve will never stop. And so I spent 13 years um, in coach in coaching seven years as a head coach. And now I took two years off and um, I am getting back into coaching. Yeah. We're going to talk about and, that later. Yeah. And so um, I, I have, you such can't a long stay away. Of, I have such a long list of things that I have learned in my two years off. <laughs> and, and again, what I learned is what is are, are things that I think I knew. I just didn't know the importance and sometimes when you take a step back, you're able to, because when you're in the thick of things and you're in the grind every day and, you know, things get a little blurry. And, um, and so 
you know, I, I, I think about all the things that, that are really important. And I, and I, and I, and I go back to one thing and I go back to mindset, getting kids willing to do what it takes, but you only can do that by building trust as a coach and building that trust is a process. But I have learned that probably spending more time on trying to figure that out um, because the X's and O's won't mean a thing if you don't have the kids that are willing and you don't have that trust from the kids and that buy-in with what you're trying to do. And you, and you talk about getting them to believe. So like, pra- so practically what, like how, what does that look like? So you, you come in that first day, you, you know, you try to get them to think that, you know, get them to believe how, how do you show them that? Do you, I mean, do you say like, we're going to focus on defense and then you show them, I mean, it's obviously not going to happen just after the first practice, but do you have to revisit things and say like, look, this is where we were. This is where we are. Like you did that. Is that kind of what that scenario looks like? Or how do you really get all of the kids to buy in? Because I'm sure some were right there on that first day, ready to go. And then there were some that were need a little more coaxing, a little more relationship building, and then had to see something tangible to really start to believe. I think what you have to do is you have to create a vision. You know, you guys can, you guys can imagine how much of a fan I am of PJ Fleck. (laughs) I mean, because he talks everything that I just absolutely believe in. And I was probably one of the very few people that bought into PJ Fleck when he first got to Minnesota. And, um, and the only reason I bought into it is not because I truly knew what was going to happen. It was because I knew what he was trying to create. He was a connector. He's a builder. But the biggest thing he is, is he gets kids to believe. And I think the biggest part of believing is creating a vision where they can grasp onto it and then slowly start to change that mindset where they become all in. And I think you have to explain the why. Um, when you can explain the why for something, I think it becomes more clear, um, the reason why we do things. Kids want to know why, why is it important to be focused in, in practice? Why is it important that we work together as a team? Why is it important that we put so much emphasis on defense? They just want to know why, because kids will have their own agenda too. And I, I, I just remember telling the kids that, you know, we're in this together. And if we want to change things, then we have to be willing to do things differently. We, and, we, yeah, we, we have a former player, obviously very, one of our probably best players in our program history, Joey Bartlett, that, that is lucky enough to come back to, to practices. And I just remember a couple of years ago, he came to one of our practices and he said to our players, you know, cause we had some young guys that were really passionate and he, he was just saying, you know, guys, it's, it's not complicated. It, it takes what it takes. And, you know, the other phrase is, is you'll be good when you're good. You know, it, it's, it's not a really a secret. It, it, there, there's certain things we all know that have to be done from a work ethic standpoint, from just a certain level of how hard you're going to have to work. We all know that, but then we also know that what we believe as transformational coaches is that culture is going to give us an edge that is not something that's seen, right? A, 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 not necessarily going to be seen from a fan in the stands about your culture. I mean, there are obviously signs, body language, and things that you, you can see, but that culture piece of it is going to 
ultimately we think in those tough moments and those big games give us an opportunity to to be more successful than the other team. And that's really kind of what you're getting at there, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, and I think about when you can explain the why and you create a vision, you know, and if you want kids to think differently, then you have to give them reason to do that. And I think you have to lay out that vision and then you've got to make sure you stay consistent with that vision. And as a coach, you have to truly believe, like when I went into Wasika, you know, the history of Wasika basketball. And I was so fortunate to be a part of a very competitive program. And I knew there were great kids at Wasika. I know they're good athletes. How can we change the way they think? And how can we get them more committed to the process? because I think that's what was missing. Okay. Um, I don't even know. I, I didn't know if I could even be a head coach. You know, I still don't know. I mean, I just, my whole thought was, you know what, I'm going to jump in. I think I can get these kids to think differently Then I'm going to learn the game as I go. And then one of my, probably one of my best moves is as my assistant coach, I brought my brother Monty, you know, Monty four year starter at Mankato state. Defensive player of the year in the NCC, his senior year. Well, one of the things that I figured out right away is if you want to have some success, then you have to have successful people around you. and You've got to build something with and, and, and surround yourself with quality people. So that was step number one for me is creating a coaching staff. And I wanted an assistant coach that knew a lot more than me. Well, I got that. Okay. Yeah. And so that's part of the process that I looked at is I want people that, that are surrounded around me that are, that are, that are, that are better than me. And that was, you know, that was pretty easy because um, um, I had, I never played in the NCC. I didn't play against North Dakota state and North Dakota and South Dakota state and South Dakota and those, those teams back in the NCC. My brother did. My brother knew how to become a great defender. So that's where, we start with that. I told the Wasika team the first day, I still remember this, and the players laugh about this now. I said, guys, if you're willing to do what it takes, if you're willing to be coachable, and if you're willing to trust each other and, and, and to realize that we're in this together and we're going to try and make each other better every day, if you are, we will be in the section championship one day. We will be, and of course, you could see their eyes. They're like, What? Who is this but band to me, director? I had to get them to believe that. <laughs> now, here's the thing I didn't tell them. I didn't tell them when. Because I didn't know if I'd still be around when it happened. <laughs> so that that to me is, in essence, the hardest part about coaching, right? We, we as coaches just kind of have this embedded in us. We know it takes what it takes. We know about culture. We know it's more important than the scoreboard. But we know we're going to get judged on the wins and the losses. We know what people are going to talk about. We know ultimately if we don't win the big game, we're going to get judged. And there is all of this outside noise. And we can have the greatest teams. And if we don't win that last game, we can feel like we, we didn't do it, right? And I think this is one of the, the painful lessons we've all had to learn throughout the years is what really is success? What really does that mean? to be successful because it's not always going to be the record we want or the championship. So how have you dealt with that personally? And then how do you 
pass that on to, to people in your leadership trainings? Well, what's interesting is, so I have a pretty strong background, not only in coaching now, but also the fine arts in the competitive marching band world. Competitive marching band and athletics are a little bit different in your approach because in fine arts, it's about being the best you can be. It's really focused on growth. It's about putting your best effort to create. Now, when it comes to a competitive marching band, we're putting together a 10 to 11 minute show, and then we're competing with other competitive groups. So I want the kids to focus on, hey, we're gonna try to be first place. We are gonna strive to be the best, but it's, but being first place is not the most important. Because when you're striving to be the best, you are now stepping outside your comfort zone a little bit. And that's where the growth is happening. So it's okay to have high expectations. And if you don't reach it, that's okay. That's in fine arts. Now you flip to basketball. It's about winning, especially at the varsity level. See, because people are going to look at, at you as a coach. They're going to look at your team. They're going to look at the individuals on the team and they're going to base and they're going to judge you on wins and losses. So that's difficult. So I can just remember, you know, back at Wasika when they had, you know, they've had, they had a, a, a several years where they had struggled in, in the wind department and it wasn't because they weren't good kids. Um, and so what I figured out very, very quickly is that, you know, what was going to motivate those kids winning. And so we didn't talk about wins and losses, but we talked about the process that will put us in a position to be competitive and have an opportunity to win every night. Now, we know that first year was going to be a transition year. It was going to be very tough. Matter of fact, St. Peter was ranked in the top five in the state that, that my first year, um, if you remember, Coach. Um, yeah, I wasn't was, here yet, but yep. Nope, you weren't there yet, but Bartlett and um, yeah. And so um, we learned very quickly that um, you, you better learn how to, if you want to compete with the better teams, then you have to be, be willing um, to, to learn how to compete. And um, you need to learn how to win. And so um, knowing that that was going to be a motivational piece that I could lean on, um, I was able to, to use that. But even though we didn't focus on the wins, what the kids started to figure out very quickly is that as we became better on the defensive end, we were able to be in more games. And that was the nugget that we could lean on every night and get excited about and start, because I'm, I'm really big on progress. Okay. I remember that early in the season, my first year at Waseca, I think it was the second game of the season. We had to play Byron. And I'm just using this as an example. It's not about the, the program or the games or anything, but Byron had beat Waseca by 54 the previous year. And, um, you can imagine the mindset in there. Now, Byron's very good, and they're a great program. But how do you get your kids to realize that you can compete with Byron now a year later? And um, that was a very, very difficult obstacle. Well, we're down nine at halftime, and we ended up getting beat, I believe, by 13. And you could just see how things changed in the mindset of the kids. And you can just see some of the confidence started to, 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 to rise. And even through that first year, just looking at those little nuggets, as, as the years progressed, it was about how can we look at 
small victories because you're right. It's like you get to the end of the day, you're going to be judged by win winning or losing. And so that was the opportunity for us to look at small victories um, early on those first, those first few years until we got to year number three, where we had kind of a bust out year and it kind of really changed everything. Yeah, I know. I know that all too, all too well uh, in our games against West Seca. I've never gone St. Peter's way too often since I've been here. So um, I'll be excited for them to uh, calm down a little bit, but I don't think that's happening anytime soon. So, um, so, so I have to do, I, I do have to share one story because this is, this was, and I've, I've told you about this, but it, it was so powerful to, for me. And I think, you know, we're seeing it more and more in coaching where young coaches, especially are, are getting burnt out, getting, um, you know, pressure from, from parents and different things. And they're just deciding to get out of the profession. And, um, you know, the coaching profession is very strong. We, we're, we're well connected. I think we do a great job of encouraging each other and no one does that better than you. I think you're a great advocate for, for all coaches and you're always trying to do whatever you can for everybody. It doesn't matter if they're, they're a rival or, or someone that you're playing. And in that, it was my first year and, and we'd gotten our butts kicked by you a couple of times and we were lucky enough in, in the playoffs to, to pull off an upset that, um, you know, didn't really think a lot of people I think could happen. And I know you're in a tough spot there because it's at the end of a game and, and I'm thrilled as a first year coach. And I'm thinking like, Oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. But the thing that always stood out to me was just the, the absolute class that you had after the game, the way you shook my hand, what you told me. Um, and that stuck with me because in those games after you still would, you'd come to the games, you'd encourage us. You were, you were being a St. Peter fan. And I don't know how many coaches in the profession with how competitive we are, um, would have the ability to do what you did. And that's something that for me, you talk about example, right? You set an example for me because now I've, <laughs> I've been in that other side. And, um, and, and I try to always remember that and remember the class that you showed and, uh, it's something that, that had a huge impact on me. And I think, um, you know, f for you, where, where did that come from? Because that's not easy to do. And it's also, um, you know, with how competitive we are, I think it, it shows a lot about your character. Wow, I that's very nice of you to say. I, I it brings back some good memories and bad memories at the same time. <laughs> but the good side of that is um, I do remember that moment. Um, you know, if you remember, uh, Sean, I, I believe we were ranked number two in the state, if I'm not mistaken, at that time. And everybody had us pegged for the state tournament, um, except for me, um, because I knew we had a lot of work to do. And I knew that, um, you know, we talked a lot about, um, that was our bust out year. You know, we had won 24 games and um, the kids had really started to believe in themselves. You know, I knew as a coach that we weren't as good as our ranking, like most, most coaches will say. Um, it's great. It's great publicity for your program, and it shows that things are turning around in the right direction. Um, I think the the influence that my father had on me um, probably played a, a huge role into probably how I reacted that night. And I, I think back to that moment too. And I don't know. Um, certainly, it's not something you plan. Um, we obviously had the intentions that we had a good chance to get to the section championship. 
but I also knew that we were very vulnerable with our program and that we'd have to play pretty well. Um, if you remember, um, you got a key player back healthy at the end of the season. You guys were playing your best basketball at the right time, which is a huge compliment to you as a, as a coach, but it also showed the growth of your team that year. Um, there weren't too many people that knew what we were getting into, except for myself and my coaching staff. Um, we knew what, what type of battle we were in for that night. And a lot of people were a little bit shocked. I was not shocked. And I guess the way I, the reason I probably reacted that the way I did was because of maybe, maybe my, my experiences. Um, all I wanted my do my kids to do is, is, is to do their best. And I felt like that was our best that night. That was the best we could do. And you guys did some things to us defensively that took some things away from us and we were not able to respond, but you know what? My kids did their best. That's the best we could do. So I had some comfort knowing that even though it was a devastating loss, I'm competitive and I wanted more for my kids. But I think the first thing that came to my mind was my goodness, how about give credit to St. Peter? How about give credit to, to coach and his staff for preparing his kids and for his kids to be able to execute under that type of pressure and not get intimidated by the fact that you're playing the number two team in the state, that you went out there and really believed that you could beat them, and then you did. So to me, I guess my first reaction was, wow, you guys deserve a lot of credit. And you know what? I'm happy for you guys because um, you guys earned that, that victory, and you guys earned the right to move on. And I didn't even think about what I was doing from there on out. I just wanted to be in the stands as you guys continued your quest to the state tournament. And then um, I also wanted to be an example to my players because when my players saw me at that next tournament game and I was on the floor celebrating with you guys when you won, I wanted those guys to, now, did I constantly think about that? Oh, I got to make sure I do this. No, that was a natural thing because I was happy for you guys. And I had started to build a, small relationship with your players. And to me, that is what it was all about. And having the opportunity to build those relationships, I still keep in touch with some of those players that were on your team. I mean, it's crazy, but see, that's what it's all about is we're in this together. And I saw what that did for your program and your kids. And I knew that if we kept working hard in Wasika, our time will come. And that wasn't our time that year. And it did. And and that's that's probably the follow-up to the stories. And and then, you know, we've we've both flip-flopped between 3A and 2A. And now Asika's back down to 2. But you guys were 3A then. And then two years later, uh, it was your turn. Um, and I was at that game as, as, as a fan. And um, I made a point to make sure that I, I stayed and congratulated you after you guys won the Sexton Championship. And and that's just that's what's really cool about coaching is is the relationships that we build with with other coaches and and the impacts that we can have on each other because we know how stressful and how how hard that the profession is and um, we need all the support we can get from each other and so so that was a really cool moment um, as we start to wrap up Dan you got any we kind of do some rapid fire questions kind of at the end here and and uh, anything that we missed here Dan you got one for for Todd. So, yeah, we, we kind of been doing this for every guest, but given that we're still in quarantine, who knows if we're, by the time this airs, we'll probably be 
half in, half out. Um, but we've been asking people if they could add one person to their quarantined life, uh, maybe for a week, maybe for the rest of this whole thing, um, who would it be for you and why? Who is one person I could hang out with for a week? I mean, just add to your lockdown for this. If you uh, could add any person in the world that's living to your, you and your wife at home, who would you want that to be and why? Oh, wow. Wow. Well, you know, I think back to some of my bigger influences on whether it be coaching or working with kids on the fine arts or um, I'm a big book reader. And um, I love reading books because it, it gives you an opportunity to continue to learn and build your knowledge and maybe your confidence in what you're doing. I think back to Zig Ziglar. It's the first book I read was See You at the Top. Oh, yeah, I know that one. Zig Ziglar. It changed my life. So I think of Zig right away. And you know what's really ironic is I unfortunately lost my father, um, which is a little over six years ago. And, um, you know, he was my best friend. He was a mentor, um, obviously a huge influence. It was a really a tough moment in my life. And um, five days before my father passed away, Zig Ziglar passed away. And so I, I, look, I look back at that moment of two very influential men in my life passing away in the same week um, was absolutely a little bit um, earth shattering to me. But it was also made me feel good in the sense of um, just my appreciation for things in life and, and prioritizing and, and really what, what, what's the most important thing. And so, yeah, to answer your question, be Zig Ziglar. Uh, because, um, you know, he's, he's the type of guy, um, outside of my father, of course, he's the type of guy that I would, um, yeah, I'd like to spend time with and continue to learn from him. And um, now things have changed now. I'm a big John Gordon fan, um, a big John Maxwell fan. I'm taking his certification, um, his certification class right now. It's a year round class. Because again, I'm, I'm just, I want to get better at what I do. And try to position myself to continue to try and make an impact on, on others. Yeah. Zig Ziglar, my dad used to always quote him and give me his books growing up. And, uh, I do a quote of the week in my classroom and I, I put Zig on there quite a bit. He's got some, he's got some great ones. Um, so I was going to ask you what you miss most about coaching, but now that I know you're getting back into it because you're addicted and you can't get away, (laughs) um, you're going in and being an assistant at North Branch, correct? And uh, correct. what led to that and how excited are you to get back into it? Well, here's what led to it. First of all, being away for two years, you hit it right on the head. Um, I found out I'm addicted to basketball. And um, I did all I could to stay away. And it lasted about a month. I remember when I, when I made the decision that I'm going to try to retire from coaching. And um, now part of that motivation was um, I wanted to expand in my business and continue to um, do what I'm doing at, at, at maybe a little bit of a higher level. And so that was what really drove me to that decision. But I think what, what, uh, what I missed most about coaching was the relationships with the kids, the relationships with coaches. And um it's very interesting because you learn a lot about yourself as a coach when you take a step back 
because um, you're able to have the time to be able to evaluate maybe how you did things or or what you wish you'd have done differently or reacted differently or whatever it may be. Now, keep in mind, I had never in intentions to get back into coaching. I really had myself convinced that um, this is the best move for me is to, is to be able to continue to do what I have a passion for in my leadership business. And, but I made the mistake of going to some games and that really reminded me why you coach because you're a part of an atmosphere and you see the strategies that are happening within two teams. And that probably got me thinking about this again. Um, this past year, now keep in mind, I live 18 minutes from North Branch High School. My wife is a teacher in that school district. And um, what probably motivated me the most was I, you know, I have a good relationship with their head coach because when I coached at Chisago Lakes for a couple of years, um, North Branch was in the conference. And so Alex Kuhlman, I developed a great relationship. I, I, I love what Alex is doing at North Branch. Um, now they've had some struggles um, winning some games. Um, but I, I was able to see through that because I can see that um, there is some great potential with that program. And it's because they're surrounded with good people. There's good support there. Um, I think the kids are awesome. I think they're coachable and they are really, really excited for change. Um, and so I thought, you know what, if I'm ever going to get back into coaching, it probably has to be a situation where I could be an assistant and I could be able to work that around my schedule. Now, to be honest with you, I didn't know if that would ever happen, but I did approach Alex and he had talked to me the year prior and kind of planted a seed with me. But I figured out a way that maybe I could make it work and still be able to do my business and still be able to do my training. And, you know, um, Alex was open enough to, to, um, to, to make that work. And um, I think uh, there's, there's a, an aspect that I think based on my experience that I could bring to North Branch um, in, in trying to help them um, turn the corner and, and, and change in, in a way. And again, it's, it's all about taking what they're, where they're at right now and to continue to build on. You just got to make them like. believe that's all you got to do. Got to make them believe. <laughs> yeah. Just bringing that belief. I think I can help in that aspect. Um, I still don't know if I can coach, <laughs> uh, but I think I can, um, you know, I can bring the, the, the aspect of mindset and getting the kids to believe and, and bring, you know, I want to be someone that they look at as someone very positive and encouraging and um, I'll fit into their puzzle, uh, whatever they need. Like I told coach uh, Kuhlman, I said, I'm here to challenge you and then support you. Um, and that's what I want to do. And that's my, my, what, what motivates me. And I'm excited to have the opportunity to get back in the gym, even if it's a couple times a week, um, be on the bench for some games, um, reunite some relationships and um, that's what excites me um, the most about getting, you know, have an opportunity to get back into back into coaching. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, the game of basketball will will definitely be better with you in it. And I think at least it's it's nice to know that you got a lot smarter and you're going to be an assistant and you're just going to kind of be like any, you know, I think these assistants in Minnesota that really have it figured out, they got their own business. They just kind of show up whenever <laughs> they want. You know, they don't have to ride the bus. They, they kind of, you know, you're going to be kind of that diva assistant, but, but also have a gigantic influence. So, um, that'll be awesome. That'll be a big help to their program. And, um, I've got a couple of those guys on my staff too, and they're, and they're, they're, they're great. And they 
kind of laugh at me with, <laughs> you know, the head coach seat and what, what we got to go through, especially being a teacher and a coach uh, and, and go down that line. Um, this was just a, qu- a question from one of our listeners. I just wanted to get this on the record. The best St. Peter coach ever is. You're asking me? Yes. <laughs> Who the best St. Peter coach? The best St. Peter coach ever. He's, well, Sean Cady. Okay. I just needed that on record. That's there was a long fair. pause. I'd like to note that yeah. as well. We wanted to make sure people knew that. Huh? <laughs> we just needed you know, He's get a little it from insecure. an outside, outside organization. All right. Last one. It's a really big question, so it's not really a great last question, but I, I like to ask it, is that how would you explain how your the role that your faith plays in your life? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great question because I love talking about my faith. You know, um, how it plays. First of all, I'm very blessed to have the opportunity to work with kids every day. And that's a blessing to me. And God has given me um, the ability to lean on maybe one of my strengths. And I think trying to find, find something that you can do in life that you have a passion for, I think that's everybody's dream. Not everybody gets to do that. I've been very blessed to be able to do that. And so, I thank God every day for giving me the opportunity to be able to do something I, that I love to do. And if I can make an impact on people's lives, you know, that's what drives me and motivates me every day. And that's why I'm a firm believer that, that uh, my, my faith drives my life. It drives my coaching. It drives my business. And it allows me to be a leader in our home every day and understand um, what's really important um, in life. And yeah, it's fun to win in basketball. Um, It's not the most important. Uh, The most important thing is developing young men of character and learning how to um, handle adversity. Um, And I've handled adversity in my life. And so I've had to learn, um, you know, firsthand, but my guys need to understand that this is real life and basketball is a vehicle to prepare you for the rest of your, your life. And if we can win some games along the way, it can be a lot of fun. Yeah. And that's, what's been cool. You know, I, when I started at new Prague as an assistant and saw the, the start of all this and, uh, we played you guys back then. And, uh, and then I've seen where, where the program is today and, and, and all the success, uh, that, that, they've had and then your your kind of whole journey and getting to know you and uh, in the coaching profession and and now as a friend it's been it's been awesome so thank you so much for for coming on with us it's it's been a great kind of tour through uh, a a guy with the you know I think much like myself and Dan like pretty unique experiences um, where you know for me science and then into basketball for you for you music into basketball and and now leadership and um, I think those are powerful lessons. And I think just think the bottom line is all the same principles apply uh, no matter what we're doing and relationships are, are key. Believing in people is key. And, and then seeing young people gain confidence is what it's all about. And then once you, you know, once you can see the way in one thing, you can see the way in all things, you know, that's, I think that's kind of the theme here with that as well as you, know, you said you found the way, you know, with marching band or with band, and then you were able to apply that and see the way and everything else with leadership and basketball, you know, and life in general. And that's, I feel like a, you know, a, a really key takeaway from this conversation. And again, I, I want to thank you guys for the opportunity um, to, to be with you here today. And, 
for what you guys do because um, there's no doubt that I'm going to listen to to your podcast because it gives me an opportunity to learn. And there's so many good things happening out there in the coaching world nowadays that um, you know to take advantage and have the opportunity opportunity to take advantage of what's out there. Um, that's what's really neat about what you guys are doing is it provides opportunities for all of us, no matter if you've been coaching for one year or coaching for 30 plus years. Um, it doesn't matter. We all have an opportunity to continue to get better at what we're doing and continue to position our kids to be um, successful and be become, um, you know, better people uh, for the rest of their life. So thank you guys. Awesome. Thanks, Todd.